This morning, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5, the fifth chapter in, in, the, in Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. And uh, when you go through it, I'm going to focus on the first 12 verses, but you realize that it's, it's quite a challenge actually to preach because he denounces so harshly the false teachers and the false teachings in the church, really. I mean, and it's just these 12, first 12 verses are, are meant to make it absolutely, uh, if I can say, absolutely clear without any doubt how God, Paul himself, but how God feels about people and these false doctrines that have infiltrated the church. And uh, please understand, I'm not talking about other religions out there. I'm talking about the forms of Christianity that we find nowadays. Please understand, and we've talked about it before, the gospel centers around the cross of Christ. Salvation is by faith alone. And all glory goes to God, not based on what we have done, but what He did on that cross. And because of what He did on the cross, and when we accept that work, it results in a transformed life that that transform, that transformation results in works, not the other way around. There's no righteous work that you can do to, to add to your salvation. The works are flow from what Christ has already done in our hearts. And that's the message to the, the Galatians. Of course, Paul started this church and it was a, a flourishing church of Gentiles, mainly Gentile Christians. The gospel was preached, people believed, lives were changed and transformed and everything was going well till some Jews came along or Jewish Christians came along and they say, hey, you can't be saved just by following Jesus Christ. Now that you know Jesus Christ, you've got to start following the Jewish laws too and of course the laws of Moses and Paul, by now you should know, Paul says no. No way. If you follow the law, you're going to live under condemnation and death. He says you're not saved by the law, but you're saved by faith in Christ alone. Amen. And we realize that Paul is really upset with all this situation that's happening there. And so that's where we pick up in chapter 5. Chapter 5, it says, it is for freedom... Verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And now he gets into it. Mark my words. I mean, he's saying, listen to me now. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, again, now he's forceful. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. And the point there is, no one can obey the whole law anyway, right? Verse 4, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. When you try and work for salvation and work to prove yourself, he's saying you're just wasting the grace of God. For through the Spirit we eagerly wait by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ, please remember we're picking up this theme of in the Spirit here. For in Christ Jesus neither, circumcised, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. 
Reminds me of what he tells the Corinthians. You know, you can have all these spiritual gifts and everything else, you know. But if you don't have love, no point at all. And that's all he says. All that really matters is what? Faith expressing itself through love. And now he asks a series of rhetorical questions, starting verse 7. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Verse 10, I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. He's, he's confident that the Galatians, in spite of everything that's happening, they're going to come back to God. I'm confident in the Lord that you will not, that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will pay, will have to pay the penalty. Verse 11, brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for the, those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Man, he's not cutting any, not mincing words at all right there. I mean, it's pretty, I mean, if you, the whole idea, the context is, of course, a pagan uh, in a, okay, Galatia is out there and right around that area, these, these people, one of their biggest acts of devotion to the Lord was they, they castrated themselves and became eunuchs because then they believed they could really serve God. And that's the context in which he's saying that. He's saying, you want to serve Christ and you want to add all these things? Go all the way and finish it. Be like them. And so that's the context in which he's saying that. And he's not mincing words. He's really mad at them there. And you find here in the beginning such a profound, the first six verses, you can see that he, he confronts the false teaching and verses 7 through 12, what he does is he confronts the false teachers themselves. So you see that division there. And this morning I want to focus on chapter 5 verse 1, but before I get there, I want to make a few points that this passage talks about when it comes to false teachings and false teachers, both. I know we talked about it briefly a few Sundays ago, but I need you and I want you to be wise and discerning about what's out there. Because in a world where everything is online, there is so much Christian stuff out there, but a lot of it, if I can say, a lot of it doesn't align with scriptures. And so we need to be wise. And I made this statement, and it's so true, any teaching that is ultimately, or that is not ultimately focused on the cross of Christ is not the true gospel. Any teaching that does not ultimately focus on the cross of Christ is not the true gospel. And here are a few dangers of the false gospel, of false teachings and false teachers. The first of all, you see, you see this in Galatians chapter 5. False teachers, starting in verse 7, false teachers hinder the truth. False teachings hinder growth. He says in verse 7, you were running a good race. What cut you off? What hinder, what's hindering you from walk, running all the way? Now how do false teachings hinder you from the truth or hinder the truth and hinder you from growing? It's simple. They preach half the truth. And it sounds so good. I teach a class on cults at, at, at uh, university, and one of the things they tell you about cults, I'm not talking about a different religion, 
is that they take half the truth and emphasize that so much that people get focused on that and that's all they buy. And so that's exactly what the false teachers do. They, what hinders growth is that we only feed part of the truth. And that's what a lot of teachers out there do. Any teaching that is not balanced, any teaching that is not ultimately focused on the cross of Christ is not the real gospel. There are a lot of themes out there and we talk about everything. But if it ultimately doesn't come back to the cross, there is something not right with it. And we need to be cautious of that. Let me put it, a lot of preaching today is feel-good preaching. It makes you feel good. It doesn't talk about you becoming like Christ. And so we easily buy into that. Feel-good gospel. I use this example and I've used it several times. If someone always presents or only presents the benefits of being a Christian or being a disciple without teaching you about the cost of being a disciple, that person is missing the mark. So when you watch something online or hear something on the radio, if that person only emphasizes the benefits of being a Christian and doesn't teach you the challenge or the cost of what it means to be a real disciple, I would say be careful. Because there is no... There is no one extreme. Hinder the truth. That's what he's saying. You were running a good race of faith. But then you start listening and buying into this gospel that doesn't focus on the cross. And that stops you from growing. So false teachers and false gospels or false teachings hinder the truth. The second thing again you find in verse 8 this time. Realize that the false teachers or false teachings do not represent God at all. They do not represent the one true God. They might say and they might claim that they speak from God. They might even use the cliche, thus says the Lord. But that does not mean they are from God at all. Verse 8, it says, this persuasion, it says, does not come from the one who calls you. Even though it sounds so good, please do not be fooled. Be like the Bereans. What did the Bereans do? They took what the apostle said. They took it to the scripture. See that the scripture, or saw that the scripture backed what these people said. And then they believed. That's what we got to do. Even though it sounds so good. Even though it's covered with a lot of Christian language. Christianese, I guess. I don't know. If it does not line up with scripture, it does not come from God. And a lot of these false teachings do not come from God. Walk away from it. They hinder your growth. False teachers hinder your growth. They do not come from God even though they claim they come from God. Thirdly, what they do is they infect or contaminate everything around them. Verse 9, what does it say? Verse 9, it says, a little yeast works through the whole batch. You realize that they sneak in. They don't come in fancy. They come in really slow. Sneak in to that. And basically, if you read about yeast in the Bible, most of the time it's not in a positive light at all. It infects everything that it touches, you know. And the Jews, they celebrate the, uh, the feast of the unleavened bread. That was one time they took away all the leaven or the yeast that was there because, you know, 
the yeast was the problem because it infected everything else. And that's exactly what he's saying here. These false teachers, they corrupt the church. They corrupt sound doctrine. And they persuade us to follow them. It looks, yeast looks small and insignificant church. Do not allow, you know, when it says don't allow Satan a foothold in your life, that's the same thing with these guys too. Please, walk away. Amen. Judge for yourselves. Take it to the Lord. It's that proverbial, what's the thing? One rotten apple spoils the whole barrel. That's exactly what these people do. Yeah. And you don't even realize it. Even in your personal life, if you give these false teachings or false teachers, you know, a lot of what they say is rubbish, but there's some truth in it, so I'm going to listen to all the rubbish to get that one grain of truth. Why? Yeah, really, amen. Right? They hinder the truth. They don't come from God or represent God. They contaminate the church. And number four, verse 10, he says, they cause confusion. They cause confusion. It's that peace in your heart that you will lack. The confusion in the church, the verse number 10, he says, I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no view. And then he says this, the one who is throwing you into confusion. When you follow along with these false teachers and false teachings, they will cause confusion, not just in your own life, but in the church. If you want to use the phrase, they will cause division or disunity in the church. Amen. The pastor and the leaders of the church want to go one direction. Guess what these teachings tell you to go? The total opposite direction most of the time. And why, is it, why does it cause confusion? It's pretty simple. Their goal is not to build the kingdom of God. Their goal is to build their own kingdom. That's the, that's the biggest difference. Their focus is not on Christ and the cross and the kingdom of God. The focus is on themselves. And that's why it causes confusion. Because when we want to be and listen to them, we start focusing on building our own kingdom. And not the kingdom of God. Imagine what happens if everybody in the room just is selfish about building their own selves up. That is disunity. As, I mean, that's as plain as it gets. They want the position, they want the status, they want the recognition because it's all about them and not the kingdom of God. And so they cause division and confusion in the church. Number five, and this is the most challenging part from there. The last part in, in, in verse 10. The one who's throwing you into confusion, whoever that might be, will have to pay the penalty. They will face divine judgment. The one who's throwing you into confusion will have to pay the penalty. Another translation says the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment. I don't care, Paul is saying, who they are. I don't care what their credentials are whether they wear a robe or whether they wear a nice fancy hat or they wear torn jeans, it doesn't matter. If they're not preaching the cross of Christ, they will be under judgment. And it seems so severe, church, but it is so true. God is not, this is His church. This is His bride. He will defend it, protect it. He's not going to let go if someone decides to tamper with his church. Amen. He will face his wrath. Yes. 
And someone says, they're a believer and introduces something that is not true or it's not in line with scripture, they will corrupt the church. We need to be careful. False teachers, and I'm finishing with this, false teachers hinder the truth, they hinder growth. They do not represent God, but they represent themselves. They contaminate and infect the whole church, so don't give them a foothold. They will cause confusion and division, so follow along with the word of God. And please remind them that when they do such a thing, they bear the severe judgment of God. Man, that's harsh. But we need to watch for these signs, church. We need to watch for these signs. I know it's, I was going to skip over this part, but Paul is saying this for a reason, because as true as it was back then, 2,000 years ago, it's true for us today. Let's go back to chapter, I mean, the first few verses. and I want to focus again on verse 1 after given all that I, what Paul is trying to say about these false teachers. Because if you are a believer, if you are a disciple of Christ and you accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, please listen and hear me out. You are free. Hallelujah. You have freedom, real freedom, when you accept Jesus Christ. Freedom from what? Verse 1, basically he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Amen? Amen. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. When I look at today's world and I look at the lives of people around us, I cannot, I cannot, what's the word? I cannot not see the bondage under which people are living. You see it plain as day. I'm sure you can think of people who who are not living in freedom. And even though they may be Christians and come to church, they may be saved, but they're not living lives in the freedom that God has given them. They're still burdened. And I know people who who've been in church for a long time, but they still live under this burden of guilt, the burden of fear, the burden of not being good enough, the burden of constant condemnation and low self-esteem. But realize, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Remember what Jesus... This is not something new. Remember what Jesus said himself in John 8. He says, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. And then what does he say? And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Again, he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. That is our inheritance as children of God. As His sons and His daughters, we get to enjoy freedom in Christ Jesus. So here's the question for us. Why is it that we still have so many people, especially in the church sometimes, who are still under a bondage? Shackled by... Fear or 
sin or just so distracted by the things of this world. Church, realize once and for all and realize and remind yourself that Christ has freed you from all your bondages. All the sin, all the burdens of shame, the burden of guilt, the burden of self-condemnation. You can go on and on and on because Jesus says what? Come to me. What? Cast your burdens onto him. Why carry a burden you're not supposed to carry? Church, it's, let me say, it's high time we live as free men and women of God. Don't allow your thoughts and your own imagination to hold you captive because Christ has set you free. Set you free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And the second thing he says is stand firm then. Stand firm. Stand firm in the freedom that Christ has already given us. Another way, another place it says stand firm in the faith. Why do we stand firm? Because Jesus has saved us and set us free. Now we've got to stand firm in that freedom. Don't allow something to get you down again. Amen. I always say this, and I've said this here before. Sometimes we as Christians, we love to march around the walls of Jericho after God has broken everything down. We want to build them up so we can march around. We love the march. When he's told us to go in and take what is promised to us, we want to walk around and walk around and walk around because we love that. You know, let's all shout and sing. We love that. But he has set us free already. Amen. Stand firm in that truth. Hallelujah. Why does he say stand firm? Because, again, we are going to have trouble in this world, Right? There's going to be challenges. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be storms in life. There's going to be people who will rise up against you. But stand firm. Don't quit on your faith. He will see you through. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to abandon you. He will rescue you. Come what may, He is always with you. Stand firm in that freedom. Stand firm in the freedom. Trust in Him. And in the context of of this letter, you, you realize that Paul is actually in, in chapter 1, and we talked about it. He's kind of astonished a little, you know. He's like, man, you Galatians, in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, uh, I was reading from the message, it says, I can't believe your fickleness, how easily you have turned away from the true gospel. After they knew the truth, why are they walking away? And, and he just says, how fickle. And I was reading that, and I was like, we need to ask ourselves the question. Are we being fickle in our pursuit of Christ? Are we being fickle in standing firm for the faith? Are, are we standing firm in the truth of God's word? Yeah. Here's the thing. A lot of people are secure in what they see, but what Christ calls us to do is be secure in things we cannot see. That's what faith is all about. That's what we're supposed to stand firm on. It's something that we don't see and we don't understand sometimes. Stand firm in that when it doesn't make sense. Stand firm in the freedom. Stand firm in the truth. It just means standing firm, holding fast to the truth because God knows how to save you. He has already redeemed you and He has set you free. Jesus came to give you life. 
Jesus came to restore our relationship with God. Jesus came to take us from darkness and put us into the light. He came to take us from death and gave us life itself. He came to take us from hell, basically, and to give us eternity with God in heaven. Stand firm in that truth. That nothing the enemy throws at us will ever prosper because I stand firm in Christ and Christ alone. No weapon, it says, can stand against us. Stand firm and realize this. Why? Another reason is because he chose us. It's not because we chose him first. It's because he loved us first. He picked us out. We talked about adoption. He picked us out. We don't get a choice sometimes, right, to pick who our parents are. We don't pick who our kids are going to be. But in adoption, he chooses us. He chose you. You are what? A chosen generation. Royal priesthood. A people. What? Called by God. He chose us, church. Chose us. Stand firm. Again, not in your own strength, but in his strength. Stand firm in not in your own power, but his power. He called you. He chose you. He freed you. He saved you. I can go on and on and on. You do not rely on your own ability. It's all Him. Now stand firm. Stand firm in Him. Whatever storm rages around you, Jesus will carry you through. He is your firm foundation. You need to just hold on. Stand firm in His love. Stand firm. In his love. And then it says. Do not let yourselves be burdened again. By the yoke of slavery. It's for freedom that Christ sets us free. Now stand firm. And the third thing he says. Do not let yourselves be burdened again. By the yoke of slavery. It's what Paul's warning the Galatians about. Don't go back and put on the yoke of the law again. Paul is challenging them. Hey, you have received Christ. You understand the grace of God. Now, why are you running back to something that was a burden on you? We've talked about it all this while. The old covenant brought death, brought condemnation. Who in their right mind would want to go back under that? When you've tasted Christ and his freedom, why go back? Why go back? And I've wondered, and as I was studying, why was it easy? Why is it? Why was it easy for the Galatians? And why is it easy sometimes for us to go back into slavery after we have tasted freedom? And I know a lot of people who've done that. And I think a great example is found in Israel's history and the Exodus where Moses had led the people, out of Is- uh, 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 people of Israel out of Egypt. You know, he, he's taking them through. He's leading them into freedom from slavery. But they're not too happy and they whine and grumble and they always say, hey, life was better in Egypt, right? Why was it easy for the Galatians? Why is it easy for us? Why is it easy for people, and specifically in this context here of the Israelites, going back and wanting to go back to Egypt? And I said, why? Because they expected freedom to be easy. They expected life to be easy. Okay, we're out of Egypt. We're free now. You know, what? We're going to still have trouble? What? We're still going to have persecution? We still got to go work and gather manna? Or we still got to fight these battles? 
Freedom does not mean life is going to be easy. Freedom does not mean that life is going to be free from sorrow, pain, suffering, persecution. That's why it was easy for them to go back into slavery because they thought freedom means, you know what, life's going to be easy. Another reason why I think the Israelites were so quick or was convinced so easy to go back into slavery because of this. They thought that freedom meant they were free to do whatever they wanted to do. That's the biggest lie the enemy sells us today. Amen. You know, we just, we're free from the rules of the Egyptians and now we're here and now we've got to follow the Ten Commandments and all these laws and all these rules that you're making again. Come on, Moses. I'd rather go back and be what I was there. That's not real freedom, right? A lot of people think that freedom they have in Christ means they are free to do whatever they want to. That's not what it says. You still got to live according to the word of God. Amen. It doesn't work that way and they get disappointed because all of a sudden like, oh, you still got to do this? It's like, yeah. They easily go back into slavery because they think freedom is going to be easy. They think freedom is the freedom to do whatever they want to. And this is the thing that gets me. They hadn't really let go of the past. Why do people go back into slavery? It's because they hadn't truly given up. Let go of the past. They hadn't let go of the yoke of slavery. Because they hadn't let go of what life was like in Egypt. The time and time again. I think of Lot's wife actually. She's just been saved from total destruction and death. But what does she do? As she runs away, she has to look back. And I think that's the same thing that the Israelites do time and time again. God saved them, but they constantly look back of how life was in Egypt. And somehow in their minds, they glorify that. They don't get it. You were a slave and now you're free. But you know, life back then was still... I mean, know how they complain, right? You know, there we had fish and whatever they had. You know, all that nice food and meat and everything else. All we got here is manna. Come on, Moses. The truth is there are a number of people who, and I've come across them in my ministry too, and you probably know them. They look at their past and they talk about the good old days. You know, the fun they used to have and all the crazy things. And they forget that they were slaves to sin. Now they're free. Amen. And so when life gets tough, they so easily slip back. I want to go back to Egypt. The Israelites had been set free, but instead of living in freedom that God had given them, instead of being thankful and grateful for God for providing miraculously manna, they just complained that they didn't have, you know, the fish and the meat and everything else that they missed in Egypt. I mean, think about it. You're waking up to a miracle every morning in your life, and yeah. you still have the audacity to complain that there was meat back home in Egypt. Sometimes we need to wake up in the morning and realize every single day is a gift from God. It is for freedom. That Christ has set us free. I'm going to circle back and finish this up real quick. God has freed us. God has freed us from the burden. From the punishment of sin. But listen to me here carefully. You have been freed from the bondage of sin. But you are not free to sin. 
There's a difference there. And so the question is, but what are we really free to do then? What is the freedom you're talking about? This is it. We have the freedom to enjoy a relationship with God that once was totally blocked because of our sin. You have the freedom to love and be loved by the person, the man, I mean, not the man, the person and the being who created you. Freedom to have a real, authentic relationship with a God that loves you. Hallelujah. You couldn't do that because of sin. Hallelujah. But now you have the freedom to worship Him that way. You have the freedom to call Him Abba Father. You have the freedom to come to Him just the way you are. With all your filth and all your self-righteousness. And come to Him because of what Christ has done. And then He wipes it clean. We need to ask this question as we end. We talk about Christianity and freedom. Let me challenge you. Is it a joy for you or to you to be a Christian today? I'm not talking about that you always have to be happy and smiling like, you know, like everything. I'm not talking about that. But is being a disciple of Christ a joy killer and a burden to you? Or is it really joy to be a disciple of Christ? Understand that you can never do anything to make Him love you more. You can never do anything to make Him love you less. If you read through Galatians, realize because that's all dependent on who He is. His love isn't dependent on your performance. It's dependent on who He is. It's the same thing like salvation. Salvation is in Christ, not dependent on your obedience. Please get this right. Doesn't mean you do whatever you want to. It doesn't mean you perform to earn his approval or keep his approval. Salvation is all Christ. There's another word we call sanctification. That's dependent on our obedience. Sanctification is the only thing I can describe it as becoming more like Christ. That's dependent on our obedience. Salvation is all Christ. Sanctification is a process by which we become more like Christ. And that happens only when we walk in obedience to the word of God. It's the work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives as we allow the Holy Spirit and allow the word of God to transform our lives. What are we free to do? We free to worship God, to have a relationship with Him. And there's another thing, and we'll talk about it pretty uh, soon later. He says, you know, your freedom, especially uh, 5, 13, 14, 15, he says this right at the end. He says, instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Yes, hallelujah. To serve one another in love. We have the freedom to serve one another, not exploit and manipulate one another. A mark of our freedom is that now we want to serve one another. Hallelujah. It's kind of ironic because when you think of a slave who wants to serve, now you're free, but you want to serve now. You have the freedom to choose. As a slave, you didn't choose to serve him, but now as a free person, now you have the choice to serve him. And let me tell you this, you cannot help but serve one another when you enjoy the freedom in Christ. We seek to serve God, His plans, His purposes, and serve 
one another as an expression of the love that Christ has given us when he gave us freedom. We're free from the power of sin, like I said, free from the power. And this is the beautiful part that he's getting to pretty soon. The flesh, he uses the flesh. Instead of living under the power of the flesh, he says, now that's replaced by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the freedom we enjoy. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit, but... A few comments as I close. What shackles or burdens are we carrying or what shackles are we, chains are we wearing? What are we allowing in our lives to be or keep us in bondage? The truth is this. When you are in Christ, you are free. The choice is yours to walk in that freedom or to live under bondage still. In Christ, there is true freedom, church. I'm just going to read something that I wrote. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Yes, for freedom Christ has set us free. But that does not mean that we have no obligation to guard and to honor Him and to live according to His word. In our former lives we were slaves to sin and we might not have known it, but the price was paid on the cross so that we can be free. We were slaves to sin, but along came the gospel of Christ, which says, gives us freedom from the bondage of sin, guilt, shame, death. And now Paul is saying, now stay free and live in that freedom. Freedom from the burden of sin. Freedom from the relentless guilt. Freedom from the accusing conscience. Freedom from the tyranny of our, uh, of our transgressions. Freedom from the pressure and the frustration of trying to be something or someone else. Freedom to be who God has created us to be. Man, that's the freedom he's giving us. There's no excuse to ever say, I'm free to do whatever I want to. Freedom is not just deliverance from sin. It is also the power to live for Christ. Freedom is not just the deliverance from sin. It is the power that he gives us through the Holy Spirit to live for Christ. Freedom to be who God has called us to be. Trust Christ and live in his freedom. That's it. Trust God and live in his freedom. 